Very good. So glad to have you guys here this morning. And uh, we're continuing continue our series um, in the in the book of, of Proverbs. And today we're going to look at happiness. We're going to look at how to find true happiness and how do we place wisdom? How do we have wisdom in our happiness? Have you ever had someone say to you, I just want you to be happy? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had someone say, I just I just want you to be happy. Have you ever had this, that cantankerous child, no matter what you did, you could not make them happy, right? I, yeah, come on, parents. Come on, shout at me. I, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Our oldest child, Colby, God love him. He's 25 now. We brought him home from the hospital. It was a nightmare. It just was. He couldn't, we, he, you know, he was colicky. We could never make him happy. And it was just miserable for Kathleen and I. And I think at one moment we thought, can we take him back? Is that possible? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And nothing we did could make him happy. He cried from the time we took him home till about 18 years old. So it was just a, just a, such a difficult upbringing. And, uh, I remember Kathleen and I were, were on a flight and uh, there was this poor mom behind us and she had three boys flying with three boys under the age of five. God bless her. She even had her mom with her and she could not keep them happy. They were playing with the window shade. They did that for about 45 minutes. Down, up, down, up. And thank God for noise canceling headphones because I'm just jamming on my tunes and I didn't hear a thing, but I could tell because my seat kept getting kicked, right? And she kept I'm so sorry. I go, listen, let me tell you about Colby. Can I just tell you about Colby? I, I get it. And there's just nothing. And, and thank God I had some Benadryl with me and then the rest of the flight. No, teasing, teasing. You know, in our world today, it's so difficult to really find happiness. Happiness. Why are we so unhappy? Why is it that we can have so much and find discontentment with what we have? And, and we complain a lot, don't we? Can we just be honest with ourselves? We tend to complain, don't we? Can I get an amen? amen. Nudge your spouse. All right. You, you, you may have drove to church this morning and you were complaining. You might have just woke up this morning just cranky and you were complaining about something. You know, how much of our speech is filled with complaints if we could play back what we said during the day? How much percentage of that would be complaining? Why is it that our hearts are so fickle? See, the problem is I think we buy the myth that the more choices we have, the happier we will be. Now think about it. As consumers, when we're being sold something, they want to make sure that you have as many choices as possible to make us happy. But I think the opposite occurs is the more choices we have, the more unhappier we become. Right? Okay. You got, all your orange juice has expired this morning. I can tell. You guys are crazy this morning. I like it. I like it. So I, I remember I heard a story of a African pastor that came to Rochester. True story. He came to Rochester. And, um, of course, when you come to Rochester, the two things you do in Rochester, right, when you come for the first time, number one, garbage plate. Amen? That's what we're proud of, our garbage plate, you know, cholesterol bomb. And the second thing is, what do you do? You take them to Wegmans, Right? So this this pastor got taken to Wegmans. He literally was overwhelmed at the because of the choices. He was like, "You mean you have 85 choices for what kind of mustard you want to buy? Right, ketchup, 
right? And, and it was like, it really became overwhelming for him because it was just too, he goes, I don't know how you can shop. I don't even know what to choose because there are so many choices. And I think this is what happens is that we have so many choices that it becomes overwhelming. That's the reason why I do not like going to the Cheesecake Factory. It's just way, the menu is like a book and you're like, I don't need, do I want breakfast? Do I want this? Do I want that? And like page 20, by the time you get to page 20, you're 45 minutes into it. I'm like, I'm done. I just need to leave. I just take me to five guys, burger, that's it, fries, milkshake. I'm good, right? Amen. So think for a moment. If you live, just think for a moment. If you lived during the Little House on the Prairie days, just think for a moment. Let's just go back if you like the Little House on the Prairie. Uh, my sisters loved Little House on the Prairie. In fact, my two sisters are here this morning. Don't believe anything they tell you about me, okay? So I'm glad to have my sisters here, but just listen. It was brutal growing up in my house. No, I'm just teasing. They loved me. They were good to me. But they loved that show. But, but think about it for me. If, if you watched Little House on the Prairie, they were happy... The Ingalls were happy with anything they got, right? It was just, it was, it was amazing how they're happy, except for Nellie. If you remember Nellie, Nellie was the mercantile owner's daughter, and she was never happy with anything she got because she had everything. Now think, back in the little house of the prairie, there's no, there's no Amazon Prime, you know, there's no choices. You got what you got. And for the Ingalls family, those kids were content to get what they got. Do you remember as a child, for those of you that are old like me, do you remember a child at dinner time, you ate what you were served? Remember that? Can I get an amen, right? You ate that tuna casserole, whether you didn't like it or not, right? You ate that tuna casserole. It's interesting, the more choices we have, the more discontented we become. And so we're studying the book of Proverbs and we're seeing how we can live a godly life. How can we live a life of happiness that's not based on things or not based on our circumstances? How can we apply godly wisdom into our lives so that we can live contented lives in the Lord? That is, such, let, let me be honest with you. For every single one of us in this room, it is such a struggle to live a contented life in, in, in the culture we live in because we're given so many choices. And so it's not a book to point out just how bad we are or how much help we need, because we all need help. Can we all admit we all need help? But it's a book that teaches us how to live our lives with wisdom and understanding and godly wisdom. The book of Proverbs gives us insight into our hearts and the reason why we act the way we do. I read in my devotions the other day, it was said of first century rabbis, that when they reflected on wisdom or they looked at wisdom, they actually referred to wisdom as salt. They referred to wisdom as salt, which is both, we understand that, that salt is both tasty, it adds flavor, and it acts as a preservative. And so the first century rabbi would look at wisdom as salt. When wisdom, true godly wisdom, is applied to our lives, when it is rightly applied to our lives, it will, it will actually enhance our lives. It will preserve our lives. And every single one of us in, the, in this room need wisdom on how to live our lives. We understand when we, when we lack wisdom and when we use bad wisdom in many of our choices, and, and, we're, and we pay, obviously, for making bad choices, we, we pay for that later. There are consequences to our bad choices. And what the Word of God shows us through godly wisdom is how we can look back over our lives and understand how can I take godly wisdom and apply it to my life so I live with less regrets in my life. And this is what the proverb writer wants us to understand. 
This is what God wants us to understand. How can we be happy even when things aren't ideal? When things aren't always going our way or when we make mistakes in our past, how can we heal from those things and how can we live with joy in our heart and not allow those past things to dictate how we're going to live in our future. Let me give you a couple of Proverbs here that speak to that, that speak to our hearts and speak to happiness. Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety or an anxious or anxiety weighs down, that anxious heart weighs us down, it weighs down our heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Hope deferred, Proverbs 13.12 says, makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 28, 14 said, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is actually the word happy. Happy or or joyful is the one who fears the Lord, who seeks the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And this is the one I want to focus on today, Proverbs 18, 14. And this is what I want to focus on today because I think this is the crux of our happiness and how do we live a joyous life and a joyful life even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I love what it says here. It says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. I love that proverb. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. See, we tend to think that our happiness is dependent on our outward circumstances. If I only had this, then I'll be happy. I would be happy if only these circumstances would actually change in my life. And there's a common thread with all of these Proverbs that we just read. These Proverbs all relate to how we sustain a strong heart and a strong spirit, to have joy, to have this inner fortitude, even when things in my life aren't going well. One that is not easily swayed by difficult circumstances. So let me ask you a question this morning. What if our outward circumstances didn't determine our happiness? What if our outward circumstances didn't determine our happiness? And so this is what we need to understand. Happiness is dependent on how we deal with our circumstances. Not allowing our circumstances, not allowing our circumstances to dictate our life, but how can how can happiness, how can our happiness not be dependent on our circumstances? Happiness is dependent on how we deal with our circumstances. So when reading through the New Testament, you'll discover that the church faced hardships on every single side. And it's amazing when you can read the New Testament through the lens of persecution, through the lens of difficulty. I don't want you to read the New Testament through this lens of how can this be applied to my life so I can, you know, live this wonderful life where where nothing ever happens. I want you to understand that the the apostles were realistic about life. Can we all agree that at times life just stinks? Can we all agree? There are things that get thrown at us, things that happen that are beyond our control. And at times life doesn't go the way we want. But I want you to understand that the New Testament writers, the apostles, when they wrote, they wanted to encourage the church not to allow their outward circumstances to sway them from who they are in Christ that they wanted the church to understand that their relationship with Jesus never changes. 
that when they trust the Lord through their difficult things in their life, that, that God would remain faithful to them, that he would never leave them or forsake them, that nothing can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, even though on the outward it looks not so great. What the, what the apostles wanted the early church knows to have this inner fortitude, this strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, from the presence of God, that gives them this fortitude to go through this world, to plow through this world with a confidence knowing that God was for them. And when we understand that, this is what gives us happiness and joy. Because our joy is based in something beyond what we see right now. And what the and, and I think the problem in the church today is we, we've kind of stopped talking about heaven and and, and, and our future destiny with Christ and what awaits us when we get to heaven. Do we even comprehend how beautiful heaven is going to be for those who put their trust in Christ Jesus? Now, there's a lot of beautiful things here on on earth and we enjoy those things, but this isn't our home. This is just temporary and God has given us these things to enjoy, but our fulfillment should not be in what is in the here and now. And it's interesting when you listen to the New Testament writers, they always focus the church on the now and later, the now and later. What's going to get you through this world is the now and later. This is what's going to help you to endure. This is what's going to give you happiness and joy to endure whatever you're enduring right now. So when you read through the New Testament, I want you to read the New Testament through the lenses of the apostles and the writers showing the church, listen, don't focus on this world. Focus on Christ who overcame this world for you and I. And I want you to notice the type of prayers that were prayed in the early church. Very, very interesting. Sometimes much different from the prayers that we pray. So I'm going to needle you a little bit this morning. Can I poke you a little bit? Just I'm going to poke you just a little bit this morning and kind of maybe poke at our prayers or maybe poke at the things that we might focus on. They're not necessarily wrong, but I want to look at something deeper here. And I want us to look at the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for the early church. I want you to notice the type of prayers that Paul prayed for the churches that he wrote to. It's, it's, it's very similar to Proverbs 18, 14, where it says, when, when a man's, when a person's spirit is crushed, it's going to be very difficult to endure. But when our spirits are encouraged, we can endure. You see, the proverb talks about a strong spirit, a spirit that will endure. So what does this mean? What did the proverb writer mean by a strong spirit will endure? Well, you can, you can endure sickness and outward difficulties if you have a strong spirit. A spirit, a life that's anchored to Jesus Christ. You can endure these things because you know God is for you. However, the proverb writer writes, a broken spirit will have difficulties enduring problems. Now, here's a good litmus test for your life. When you go through something and you go through a difficulty, it will show how strong your spirit is. It will show you what you are trusting. Does it get you off your game right away? That doesn't mean it's not easy. There's not difficult to endure difficult things in our life. But what it will show you is what you're trusting. And what the proverb writer says, where is your spirit? Is it anchored to Christ who never moves? 
who is a solid foundation. See, when we're anchored to Christ, it gives us a different perspective. It gives us a different view of this world, that this world isn't all that there is. And it helps us to have a joy and a happiness to endure the things in this world. So when we go through a difficulty, it's, it's going to either rip you up from your foundation or it's going to cause you to grow deeper. It's going to cause you to lock in. It's going to cause you to say, God, what are you showing me here? What are you teaching me? How can I grow through this? How can I know Jesus more through this difficult situation that I'm going through? However, a broken spirit will have difficulty enduring problems. So here's here's where we might get it wrong as the church sometimes, or when we pray. Once again, I'm pointing the finger at myself here too because, because here's where we get it wrong. Sometimes I think that our prayers might be a little off kilter or out of balance. So let me explain this way. Let me poke myself and you for just a moment. Now, we think, we think, track with me here and just agree with me if you think I'm right here. If not, you can just walk out. No, I'm just teasing. So, so we think, we think we will be happy if all the obstacles are eliminated from my life or if I do not have to endure this hardship. We think, like, once this ends, I'll be happy. Once I get through this, it's going to be so much better. How many of us have thought that way only to get through it to find something else on the other side, right? And you're like, oh, the insanity. Will this ever stop, right? That, that's falsely believing that my happiness is based in the removal of this certain circumstance. It's not how it works. That's not, how you've, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom applied to our lives to truly find joy. So, how do we pray? How do we pray? Now, I'm pointing the finger at myself, too, because I've prayed these prayers before, but how many of us have prayed this, this way? And I'm pointing the finger at myself, too, so we're all in the same boat here. How many of us have ever prayed for a hedge of protection? right? Not bad. Like, Lord, wrap a hedge of protection around our car. This bubble wrap around our car so that nothing will happen to you. Right? That hedge, or, or we pray for that. Or, or we pray that all things will go smoothly. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. I've prayed that, and there's nothing wrong with praying for safety for your kids and protection. I'm not saying that, that that's wrong. It's not necessarily wrong to pray for help for protection. It is not wrong to do that, so don't get me wrong. Now, Here's the thing I want you to see. What is the greater thing? What is the greater need? That's what I want you to see this morning. This is what the proverb writer is bringing down in Proverbs 18. The greater need is a strong spirit. Follow me. Just, just everybody watching online, just, just follow me real close because I don't want you to miss this. The greater need is for our spirits to be protected. Follow me. That, that's what the proverb writes. A strong spirit will endure. The greater need is, God, I need to be attached to you more than to hedge protection, which is fine prayer. That I'm not saying don't pray for the hedge around your life. I'm not, not saying don't do that. But what I, am praying, what I am asking you to do is it seems to me that what the proverb writer is saying is pray for a strong spirit. Now, I'm going to connect that, Proverbs, with Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Because I believe Paul echoes the exact same thing that the proverb writer is saying. So if you disagree with me, then you're disagreeing with the proverbs writer, and you're disagreeing with the apostle Paul, and have fun with that. So let, let's connect. Let's connect these two things together. So 
Listen, here, here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice as we read this prayer in Ephesians 3, which is a beautiful prayer, I want you to notice that Paul's prayer in his letter, it's to the church in Ephesus. And they're going through stuff. Like every early church, they go through stuff. There's persecution. They're going through stuff. But I want you to notice he doesn't pray for the elimination of suffering or perfect circumstances. Actually, what he prays is for strength for the church. He prays for their inner fortitude. If your inner being is strong in Christ, you will be able to move forward and not be defeated or crushed by your circumstances or your past mistakes. Amen? Amen? That is such good news of God's wonderful grace that he says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you strength for your future. And I'm going to guard your heart and your mind in my son, Jesus. That's, that's the greater prayer. So, so let's listen to what Paul prays here. Listen to how wonderful it is. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. So this is Paul's heart for the church in Ephesus. And listen to how Paul prays here. This is wonderful. He says, I pray, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources. Right off the bat, God is unlimited in his resources to pour out into you his wonderful grace and his mercies. Unlimited resources. He goes, I'm praying from God's unlimited resources that nothing bad will ever happen in your life and your life will smell like potpourri the rest of your days. Okay, that's not what he's praying, right? Okay, so what's he praying? He said, I'm praying that out of his unlimited resources, he will empower you with what? Let's all say together. Inner strength. Wait, does it say, does it say hedge of protection? I don't, okay, now I'm just teasing. I'm just poking, poking at myself. He prays for inner strength. Inner strength through what? His spirit. Then Christ, listen, this is the promise This is the promise. This is what happens. Here's the result. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You trust in him. I love what he says here. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you what? Strong. That's the greater prayer. God, keep me strong. Whatever the circumstances may be, let my roots grow deep in you. That's wisdom applied to your life that will give you happiness in your life, knowing that your roots are deep in Christ, that he is with you, that there's an, there's an unbelievable, unlimited resources for your life that God will bless you with. And may you have the power to understand, as God's people should, I love this, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to, to understand fully, then you will be able to be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. That's a beautiful prayer. That's the greater prayer. I want you to notice what Paul focuses on. He focuses on our inner strength not our outward circumstances necessarily or to be removed from them, but inner strength to help to endure whatever we may face in our life. Now, why would someone who seems to have everything still be unhappy? Why is it? 
And we've all thought that at one time or another, haven't we? We all looked at someone who seemed who has wealth or status and think, well, what do they have to worry about? What do they have to worry about? They have no what? Problems. But we have no idea what goes on underneath. We can have all the resources on the outside, all the physical things on the outside that could life could afford to us, but if our inner life is out of kilter, if our inner life is not connected to something greater than ourselves, then no amount of things in this world can ever satisfy your soul. You will keep searching and searching and searching. And, and these things will bring no amount of happiness. No amount of happiness. Because we use them in the wrong way. We use things to try to bring our happiness where God says, no, don't use the things. To, I've given you these things, but don't put your contentment in those. Enjoy them. God wants us to enjoy the things in this world, but they shouldn't be our ultimate joy because those things can never ultimately satisfy. See, they seem to have everything on the outside, but yet their inner being is crushed. It wasn't that Paul wasn't concerned about the persecution or the provision for the churches that he wrote to. Paul knew that if their spirits were crushed, they would not endure. That's why Paul's greater prayer was for their inner life, their inner strength in Christ. That is why he prayed for inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why people can endure extreme difficulties? You can only make it if you're looking beyond your circumstances. I love what the Hebrew writer writes when he he gives us the answer of finding true joy in your life. And so he gives us the answer. The Hebrew writer in the book of Hebrews gives us the answer, and the joy is not based in our circumstances. In fact, what the Hebrew writer says, this is a joy that is resilient. And the reason why, he says, we can have this resilient joy in the face of difficult things is because of what Jesus endured for us that we have a perfect Savior in every way who gives us hope that says, listen, I'm going to give you peace and I want to give you peace in this world and I want to give you an inner strength that nothing in this world can take away. And I want you to take heart that even in the midst of tribulation that you will have, take heart because I've overcome this world. That's our hope. That's the resiliency. Jesus is our ultimate example. Jesus gave up everything for us. Why? Jesus knew that his death would do something for you and I. Jesus knew what his death meant for you and I. And this is what the Hebrew writer extracts for us. These verses are encouraging because they tell us that even in our suffering, we can have a joy to know what is in store for us. Before I read this verse, let me just ask you a quick question. And I pray that this verse encourages you. Are you crushed in spirit today? I mean, if you really were to do an inventory of your heart, where are you today? And we've all been there at times where life just seems to beat us up and it's easy to feel crushed in our spirit. The hope that we have today is that Jesus understands that. And he wants to give you a far greater hope. He wants to give you a hope that is beyond your past, whatever you're enduring today. And he wants to give you a joy that's not based in anything that we see here. He wants to give you his grace and his love out of the abundance of his resources that never end. 
You can trust him today because he did everything for us. Jesus did everything for our benefit. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. I love this because the Hebrew writer is encouraging Hebrew Christians who who are undergoing persecution. And I love chapter 12 because chapter 12, the Hebrew writer just completely nails it to giving these Christians hope beyond their present suffering. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So what the Hebrew writer is saying is, listen, there are all these that have gone before you. Look at chapter 11. There's all these that have endured, who trusted God by faith, and they're in heaven, and you can look to them because they crossed the finish line. And if they can do it, you can do it too. Look to those who have endured through faith and trusted God through severe circumstances and they crossed the finish line. Look to them. Because they didn't look to their circumstances and they didn't allow their circumstances to crush them. So he says, this is the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And he tells us to do this. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And he says, this is how we do this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I love that word, our champion, who conquered sin and death, for you and I. He's the ultimate victor. And I love what he says here. I love what the Hebrew writer says here. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus actually endured the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. How could Jesus have a joy facing his suffering? The reason why he knew what it would accomplish for you and I. And by Jesus enduring the suffering on the cross for you and I, he knew that it meant life for you and I and a forgiveness of our sins that we could never be forgiven for in our own strength. Jesus had joy serving us and giving his life for us because he knew what our future would be in him. So let me ask you again, where's your spirit today? Are you crushed? Are you disappointed? Have things not worked out the way you thought they were going to work out? Let me just say this. It's okay. I had a five-year plan. That's not what I thought it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You asked me 20 years ago, why? It's not even near what I thought, right? But Jesus is still the same. And he's walked with me through all that stuff. And he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And I can trust him. And you can trust him today too. He's a tender savior who cares about you. And I'm not trying to make light of your past or what you're enduring today. Please, please don't think that. But what I am telling you is you can endure through a strong spirit that's anchored to Christ Jesus. Let his Holy Spirit give you the strength to give you a joy that's beyond anything that's in this world. There was a saying from a, it was a ministry when I first got saved. 
And they were saying that this, they said that that Christians should be the happiest people on earth. (laughs) You know what? We should be. Not because we have a lot of stuff, maybe, or that everything's perfect in our life. We're broken. We make mistakes. But the reason why we should be happy is because we know where our future is. And that should give us a joy. The reason why we should be the happiest people on earth, and that doesn't mean that we don't struggle or we may not struggle with depression and all those other stuff that can come into our life. That's not, that's not, oh, I'm just faking it. Listen, we go through difficult things in our life. So I'm not, please don't think that I'm just saying that nothing happens to us that doesn't happen to people who don't trust Jesus. But the reason why there's a joy even in the midst of our own personal suffering and there's a happiness even in the midst of our personal suffering, is that the Word of God tells us it's light and momentary in comparison to eternity. Fix your eyes on Jesus and know what awaits those who have put their trust in Him. So that's why we're joyful. That's why we should be happy because we're trusting Jesus who conquered this world for you and I. And there waits, there waits for you and I that beautiful place where Jesus says, listen, trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many what? Many rooms, many mansions, right? Because if it were were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So let me pray for you today as we just close in song today and, and sing about God's goodness. Would you bow your hearts with me today just for just for a moment? And uh, I want to pray for you today and just ask God to help you. How many would say, Pastor, just, just pray for me today? Just by the raise hand, say, Pastor, pray for me. I just... I need God's joy. I, I want that true joy in my heart. I, I am battling with some things. And I need that joy in my heart today as I trust Jesus. And I want him to revive my spirit. How many say, Pastor, I need Jesus to revive my spirit today. Amen. Good, good. And he's faithful to do that. So, Father God, as we come before you today, um, all of us at one time or another, we all struggle. And I pray, Lord, that you would revive our spirits, that if our spirits are crushed today, we would rely on you, Jesus, to revive us and to change our perspective of what we have. Even though we have to endure this, we know that we're not alone in our struggle, that you walk with us through it, Jesus. So thank you that you're ever-present in our lives, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from your love. So as we trust you, Lord, I pray that you would revive our spirits, give us a joy and a happiness that's not based in the things in this world, but it's based in who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. So thank you for your word today. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done everything for us and you've accomplished everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. So we thank you for that. And we want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' glorious, glorious, glorious name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Can we thank God for his word today? Worthy of it. Amen. Amen.